Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or There it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first... He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked. He replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Jesus has been inviting people to the kingdom since chapter 4 of Luke's gospel. And finally, the Pharisees say, all right, Jesus, we've heard you invite us to the kingdom. Um, when is it going to be here? Then Jesus refers to himself four times by the term the Son of Man in verses 22 through 30. I think perhaps the Son of Man may have something to do with the arrival of the kingdom. Where do we first encounter this phrase, the Son of Man, in the Bible? Well, after about a dozen occurrences where it talks about male offspring from a father, it isn't until we get to the books of Ezekiel and Daniel that the Son of Man as a biblical character arises. 
In Ezekiel, the term appears in almost every chapter of the book. And then in Daniel, Daniel has a vision about someone called the Son of Man. And in Daniel chapter 7, this Son of Man is described as, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, a term of God the Father, and was presented before him. And to this Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. From this time when Daniel has the vision... In the Babylonian captivity, from that time forward, the descendants of Abraham have been looking for this son of man who would have an everlasting dominion. A dominion that involves all races, all nations, and all languages. See, the people in Jesus' day were expecting a king who would arrive with a new dominion. But they were looking for the wrong type of ruler. As they were looking, the Pharisees misunderstood the location. When and where will we see this, Jesus? See, the the Pharisees wanted some sort of a universal utopia. Kind of sounds like our people today. We're waiting for that systemic change that makes the world better. The Pharisees were looking for that one sign that would indicate that the messianic rule had begun. They wanted that one change, that systemic change had happened. But Jesus says the kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed with the eyes. See, by now we have all learned the huge difference between candidate promises and politician delivery. Whether you were counting on hope and change, or America becoming great again, or Topeka fully funding the schools, or a vaccine rollout that would end the pandemic, We can all point to times where our leaders' promises could not make it past the opposing party. See, they were saying, when is this going to come? And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you false promises about this systemic change. Because... We still don't have affordable health care for all. We still don't have a wall along the southern border. And Thursday of this week, I was still required to wear a mask into a restaurant despite being fully vaccinated. Derek Chauvin has been convicted and sentenced. But justice for George Floyd 
has not quieted the unrest between Black Lives Matter, the defund agenda, and the law enforcement community. See, people are looking for that one sign. When will we know that things are better? And Jesus says, you're looking for the wrong thing. And if you're looking for that one sign that shows our society is changing, you're looking for the wrong thing. Because Jesus states that there's not one indicator of systemic change because the kingdom of God is not found in a project, but in a person. The kingdom is not apparent in an action, but in an attitude of the heart. The kingdom is not a sign that can be seen, but a savior to be embraced. When they ask, when will this kingdom that Daniel prophesied come to place? He replied, when? I am right here. I am in your midst. See, instead of seeking the miracle of a system change, they needed to surrender to the master who was in their midst. See, they were looking for some sort of a utopia, but in response to this utopia, this better world that they were looking for, Jesus promised a provided presence. You're looking for the change, and I give you a person. For 13 chapters, Jesus has been proving that he is all we need. He has proven his authority over every possible obstacle. Yet the Pharisees, with the possible exceptions of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, the Pharisees are unable to bring themselves to admit what their own eyes are telling them. He's the real deal. The very presence of Jesus is the remedy for all that Satan and sinful man have messed up in this world. Jesus says, you're looking for the change. I am here. Jesus is offering that if they would accept him as the Messiah, their current experience would take a 180-degree turn. And he still offers that to us today. Is our world a mess? Yes. But Jesus says, give your life to me, and your outlook will take a 180-degree turn. I've watched the quiet sorrow and the faith of godly people enduring great pain that causes the people without hope to break down uncontrollably. You've seen the same thing. People of faith, people who are in Christ, are able to endure and persevere in circumstances that shatter others. Jesus says, you're looking for the circumstance to change, but I'm right here to carry you through the circumstance. 
Why is it that two people in the same circumstance can react so differently? The person who has surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, also known as the person who has entered into the kingdom, draws on resources that are unavailable to those who are outside of the kingdom. Earlier this week, my family gathered in the Wisconsin Dells. The Dells, as in the farmer in the Dell, were once peaceful valleys where the Wisconsin River gently flowed. The area is now water parks and tourist traps. And one of these tourist attractions is the World War II amphibious ducks. The same ones that got shut down in Branson are all over the place in the Dells. And on Monday, we rode a duck. And we were taken into an area on the tour that is known as Fern Dell. It is a dell filled with thousands of, you guessed it, ferns. See, the environment of Fern Dell is noticeably different for those who are in the dell. In the midst of the woods, this little stretch where you go into the dell is covered by a canopy that keeps the heat outside, and that canopy protects the thousands of ferns that are filled with water. And the water in the ferns literally bring the temperature down five to seven degrees from the areas that are outside of Ferndale. In the same way, those who are within God's kingdom, even though we're surrounded by the wilderness of the world, we are protected by the canopy of God's sovereign care and the cool water of his spirit, the Bible refers to the spirit as water, just as the cool water of the ferns cool the area, the calming effect of the spirit of God brings down the temperature of the world around us for those who are in Christ. See, the kingdom that Jesus offers in this world is not systemic change that can be pursued. It's a Savior who brings peace in the midst of the woods. The Pharisees wanted, we want a way out of the oppression of the Romans. And Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Pharisees wanted peace from those Greco-Roman empires. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. See, there, there's no doubt that the Pharisees did not understand the nature of God's kingdom. Because the nature of God's kingdom is a person of Jesus himself. But the next paragraph indicates that the disciples misunderstood the timing of the kingdom. 
Jesus says there will come a time when you long to see the kingdom right in front of you. But Jesus said some certain things have to happen before the kingdom becomes a reality. See, the kingdom could not come, in verses 42 through 25, until Jesus had suffered. The indwelling peace that is offered in John 14 could not come until sin had been defeated, until the Spirit had been poured out. The abundant life of John chapter 10, verse 10, could not expand to its fullest until Satan was crushed. See, Simon Peter will make some bold promises at the Last Supper. Jesus, even if everybody else rejects you, I'll be with you till the end. Well, Jesus says some things have to happen first. Jesus knew that Peter needed to be humiliated, crushed, restored, and then put into that platform of Acts chapter 2 where he's mightily preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus knew the kingdom is about to explode like a mustard bush. But first, the Son of Man must suffer and die. The kingdom could not come until Jesus had suffered and crushed sin and death. And my friend, he has suffered. It's over so that the kingdom can come. Secondly, in verses 26 through 27, Jesus says, The kingdom could not come while evil continues to consume humanity. Jesus said that in the day of the Son of Man, it will be just like those days in Noah. What happened during Noah? During the days of Noah, everybody was living for themselves. They totally ignored everything that Noah said about the creator of their souls. They simply said, it's time to party, dude. It's all about me. It's all about what I want, and I will make myself happy. They were too busy pleasing themselves to be concerned with pleasing the God who had created them. But after Noah enters into the ark, all of their evil ended. Because judgment of flood came and destroyed them along with their evil. See, evil needs to be done away with if we want to experience the kingdom in the presence of Jesus. The kingdom could not come while evil consumed, the, kevil, the kingdom could not come while possessions consumed humanity. Look at verses 28 through 33. In addition to the eating and drinking, taking care of satisfying their own appetites, it says during the days of Lot, people were buying and selling and they were building and they were harvesting. And so it appears during the days of Lot, in addition to making people happy for themselves, they started to take confidence in what they were able to build and accumulate. They were so impressed with their own workmanship, they never imagined a day that it would be utterly destroyed. See, the peace that comes from God's kingdom will never be experienced if we are consumed 
with either our evil or our possessions. We need to be consumed with the will of God. Jesus had to suffer. Evil had to go away. The possession obsession had to go away. And then verses 34 through 36, we see that the kingdom could not come until judgment and division happens. There's a separation that takes place in verses 34 through 36. In verse 33, the kingdom divides into two groups. There are those who are obsessed with themselves, and there are those who are willing to die to self to allow the master to control them. And to this day, that division of two still exists. There are those around us who depend upon and they live for themselves, for their accolades, their accumulation, their actions. And there are those who lay down their lives in repentance and allow God to give them a new life. That judgment, that separation, that division needs to happen. Are we going to live for ourselves or are we going to die to self and experience the kingdom life that God offers? And Jesus says the reality is that that person who sleeps next to you may be on the other side of that divide. That person who works with you may be on the other side of that divide. And then he gives a dire warning to those who are on the wrong side of the divide. Those outside of the kingdom experience death. Every person comes to a fork in the road where he or she must decide if he or she will die to self and receive the everlasting life offered by King Jesus or choose to live for self and experience the death that results. Jesus uses some pretty vivid descriptions. I saw a picture last night of someone who is sitting in our midst who went skunk hunting. Fortunately, he won, and he was not sprayed. But just to look at Casey holding up that dead skunk, I threw you under the bus, brother, You see the picture and you know, yuck. Jesus uses that same vivid picture to say, were there dead bodies? The vulture circle. Just as yuck. And that's the outcome for those who are outside of the kingdom. Jesus says, I offer you peace, I offer you victory, I offer you eternity with me. But you can choose to keep living for yourself. But the end of that life is vultures circling over a corpse. Now, in these verses, I count six knots. Lots of examples of what the kingdom is not and what we should not 
do. When my dog was in obedience school, I was trained that the best way to stop a negative behavior is to expect a positive behavior in its place. So instead of saying, stop doing that, say, start doing this. So in our final moments together, let me give you that positive. Let me conclude with the positive options that God's kingdom is primarily personal. It's not going to change society in such a way that, oh, it's nice to live here again. It's a personal peace that we experience amidst the turmoil, like being in Ferndale in the midst of the woods. See, eventually God's kingdom will be realized as a new heaven and a new earth are consummated. But in verse 22, Jesus says, you will be longing for that ultimate experience of God's rules, and until then, the kingdom will look very different, because while you desire to see it, you will not see it. Jesus knew that there would be days when we long for heaven. Days when we sing songs like, when the roll is called up yonder. There would be days where we would long for that sweet by and by. There would be the days that we seek and we would watch for that day when the king is coming. But he says, you will not see it. Because his kingdom in our midst looks very different until the ultimate kingdom. See, the kingdom where Messiah rules between the resurrection and the second coming looks very different. His kingdom on earth looks very different than in the sweet by and by. And while we look for that then, Jesus says, I'm offering you something here and now. See, the Pharisees were looking for something outside of themselves that would make everything around them different. They saw the Messianic kingdom as a reversal of the generations of domination and captivity for the Jewish people. God's kingdom was never something that would happen for them Jesus says, my kingdom is something that happens within you. See, Jesus was promising that in this life, you will be loved. And in this life, we can know his peace. And in this life, we can know his purpose. See, Jesus taught his disciples that the kingdom would not be universal during this age. Noah and Lot are two examples of some surviving, some dying. Some entered, others were excluded. And while many around us are clamoring for systemic changes, Jesus is calling us to personal choices. Instead of worrying about the world, will you trust me? 
Are we going to choose our selfish self? Are we going to choose stuff and materialism? Or are we going to surrender to the eternal Savior who can bring eternal peace? There's a song that we sing in children's ministry that has been a great lesson for what it means to seek first his kingdom. And to seek for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We sing and we make the motions, With Christ in my vessel I can smile at the storm as we go sailing home. And if elementary kids can get that idea, I think you might be able to get it too. If we invite Christ into our lives, if we surrender to him with Christ in our vessel, we can smile at the storm. See, God loves you so much that he is calling you today to exchange the struggles of living for yourself for the peace and the power in the life that he gives.